Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Ilona Thompson with Palate Exposure, and I have a distinct privilege today to sit down with Michael Jessen. You might know him from a very popular TLC series called 90 Day Fiancé, but there's much more to Michael. He had had quite an illustrious career in the auction wine auction space with Zaki's and also Wally's. Mm-hmm. He's a partner in a couple of really exciting brands. One of them is called Licata. It's a Lambrusco-style wine from Veneto region of Italy. And he also imports Burgundy. Uh, the company's name is Pearl of Bur- Burgundy, and we'll be talking a bit about that later on. He's a man of many talents uh, with intense career experience. Um, he's also a musician, and we'll touch upon that. There's a lot to uncover, and as usual, I like to start from the beginning. So we'll ask him where he's from, how did it all, how did it all begin? Wow. Oh boy. I got to tell you, just to start off with something funny that comes in my head when I, whenever start off a conversation like that and there's a great scene in um one of the austin power movies mm-hmm. where i think it's dr evil and his son are at like self self-help group for sons and <laughs> but then they come to dr evil and then they say yeah please tell us he's like no i don't want to talk no, he's like the details of my life are quite inconsequential you know <laughs> i just always think of that like i want to be that guy that just says that but uh it's it's an interesting way to start because where do you start uh, I, um, I feel that I'm l- l- truly like just such an extraordinarily lucky person with what has happened in my professional career and my professional life, uh, and that is being in this wonderful wine industry. Uh, uh, it's nothing when I was growing up in southern Indiana, it had no no inkling this was a path I'd ever be on, mm-hmm. that I'd ever land where I am now. Uh, didn't grow up with the finer things that like, you know, fine wine. My parents weren't really much of drinkers at all, <clears throat> um, and certainly not wine. Uh, I, 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 I guess I'm somebody that just really almost accidentally backed up into uh, uh, getting to work with something I love and I'm so passionate about. So where it started, I guess, uh, yeah, I was born and raised in a town called Evansville, Indiana, southern, which is southern Indiana, not far from, just across the uh, Ohio River from Kentucky. Um, went to college uh, in Indiana, Indiana University. And if I think back, that's, that's where I think the first seeds of starting to discover wine were planted. Mm-hmm. But it was extremely rudimentary. It was extremely, uh, uh, not, nothing close to what you'd call a wine passion or, or uh, hey, maybe I should try a job in the wine world. But I just found <clears throat> there were times uh, uh, we would, when, you know, for our weekend house parties or something, in addition to the keg of beer, we would get some box wine or some white Zinfandel or, you know. Yeah, we all started that way. It seems like it's such a common, you know, humble beginnings. You know, it's strange. <laughs> I, I can't tell you if it <clears throat> tasted a white Zinfandel and probably since college, but it, 
you know, there are some gateway drugs, if you will, to mm -hmm. to leading to better paths, maybe. But when you're looking at on a college kid's budget, and you know, four or five dollars for a bottle of wine seems like a pretty good deal. You know, you 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 start somewhere. And the strange thing was, I just I realized there was uh, it was a new you know a whole new world. The idea of drinking wine was kind of cool. I liked the taste of it, and of mm -hmm. course, those at that time, you know. White Zinfandel tends to have sweeter style. You know, these wines are very much, you know, <laughs> palate friendly for people who don't really drink wine. You know, they're mm -hmm. sweeter, they're fruitier. Of course, you know, if you drink too much, they're, they could give you the most absolute horrible hangover and headache the next day. But uh, uh, as a college kid, you're used to, usually used to that anyway on weekends. Uh, and anyway, I, I just remember it started there. And uh, I would, when I'd go on dates or uh, I would, order wine and think, wow, this is also romantic. It's, there's a whole element of uh, life, you know, a, a lifestyle aspect that I think was starting to uh, show itself for me. But the real catalyst was um, uh, right after graduating uh, university in summer of 1999. Uh, it was the first time I took a, a, a long, it, it was, became a six week, basically backpacking trip around Europe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was with uh, a girl that I was seeing at the time. We were very, very serious. She had, uh, she was American, but she had, very, she still had close family in Spain. Her, uh, her father uh, was, I think, first generation, uh, but from a Spanish family. And um, uh, so we, she spoke fluent uh, Spanish. Uh, she's good with languages. When we were in Italy or even French, she could basically learn enough for us to get by. Um, and uh, go to Europe. <clears throat> my one of my brothers came with. Um, so it was the three of us kind of kicking around. Uh, and really, what I just got completely struck by the light, like the life changing. Uh, part of it for me wasn't just seeing Europe for the first time and all the sites and all the amazing places in um, uh, Italy, Spain, France, uh, Austria, but I, the food and the wine and everything that we did was just a whole new world that I had no experience with and nothing in Indiana ever came close to uh, just going to a little trattoria in Italy or, or, or especially when we, in Spain. Uh, <laughs> or France, the just little hole in the wall restaurants off the beaten path uh, where the food was just so amazing. It wasn't expensive and we would order wines by the carafe or cheap bottles that we didn't even know what the heck it was. Had no mm -hmm. idea. All, all I knew about wine at that time was, okay, that's a red wine, that's a white wine maybe. And, uh, but I came away with it just such a love for the, that, food and wine kind of culture in the way that it was so much more an important part of European culture than it was back in Indiana. And especially the wine. I got the wine bug. Um, I didn't uh, come back thinking, oh, I want a wine job. It wasn't like, it wasn't, <clears throat> that's not when the aspirations for being in the wine business started at all. But I did come back still living in the Midwest at the time I would st but I would when I'd go to the grocery store 
and go to the wine section. I would go to the wine section now. I wouldn't have any idea about anything except, well, here's a French wine. We had French wine and I like that. So this must be, I'll try this. No idea of anything about, <laughs> you know, the Cote de Rhone or, you know, Burgundy or Bordeaux or Loire Valley. Nothing, of course. I had no, no, no concept of that. Or, wow, we were in Spain and I love the red wines of Spain. I tried to see if it said Spain on the label or something. And in there, you know, there weren't many resources. So it wasn't, and this is... I mean, there was, we were, we were in pre-Google days, but you could, you could find, I guess you could, if I really wanted to, I could have found information online or whatever, but I was I really wasn't even at that time approaching it as you know, uh, this focused passion. Yeah. That started, um, I was lucky enough, I got, I was working uh, in management consulting at the time with a company, one of the big five accounting firms. Actually, back then, I think it was big six because that was before Arthur Anderson went under for Enron, mm -hmm. which is a whole nother story because I was in the industry when that was happening. It was amazing, uh, amazing thing. I bet. But uh, I worked for Deloitte & Touche and I was with Deloitte for about three years total, but uh, almost two and a half years of that was in New York office. Mm -hmm. I started in the uh, Detroit, Michigan office um, and living there, I was only in Detroit for about six or seven months. That's where I met Sarah, my ex-wife. She's mm -hmm. from Michigan. And, uh, but I, I was noticed and I got the opportunity to transfer to the New York office. <clears throat> and uh, that's, you know, I had never even visited New York City. Uh, but I just knew I, was, I had a sense of adventure, sense of opportunity, of course. You know, how could you say no to something like that? <clears throat> and I... I, uh, uh, early 2001 moved to New York and well, you know, suddenly the world is, I mean, the world was just changed for me in such major way, uh, that just also getting this sense of amazing opportunity in life and amazing, mm -hmm. the energy, the, you know, New York, I mean, it was just amazing. I loved it so much, but also it's, it's a, New York is a place where you can kind of, there's a way to sort of explore, do, experience just about anything. You can really, yeah. uh, it, it's a great place for, uh, to try to become who you are, I guess. You know, it, it can chew you up. It's a, it's not an easy city at all. Uh, you, you have to have the right temperament and I think the right kind of point of views, um, about, uh, how you know patience with how crazy the city can be how noisy how lively it is it's not for everybody but i i i relished in it i had it was just amazing and that's how the wine thing then exploded because i was enjoying wine um and uh my uh i crashed on the couch of one of my college friends uh he was a college roommate of mine and this is there's a lot of just sort of fortuitous things that happened that got got me here that's why i say i feel so mm -hmm. lucky but so my my friend john john nelson his brother ben his older brother ben whom I, whom at that point i'd never actually met in person i've heard a lot about him because john and i went to school well i mean fast forward now ben nelson is now president of heart davis heart and uh very prominent very prominent guy great still we're great friends but he you know i ended up meeting Ben uh, through John, his brother, and I was fascinated by Ben because Ben was 
uh, he had just left a job in insurance, basically, as like an actuary or something with a big mm -hmm. insurance company to pursue his dream of being in the wine world. And it wasn't even that he left for a, uh, right away for like a great wine job. He kind of packed his bags, went to France, traveled around, took notes, learned, soaked things up. Just And I was like, that is really great. What a mm -hmm. cool thing, man. Your brother is one of the neatest people. And, um, and it was actually the first night uh, ben, ben came through um, New York City. This was, it was shortly after September 11, actually, as I remember. This must have been uh, like October 2001 or something. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, that was, <clears throat> that was a night uh, Ben was over at John's apartment. We came over to hang out and brought, he brought some wines. And that turned out to be my epiphany wine night, which was uh, a bottle of 1996 Hermitage La Pavillon from Chapoutier. And I really still, my, my knowledge of wine regions, grapes, was virtually zero at this at that point. I just knew I, I liked wine. And then I got fascinated by Ben's story of mm -hmm. jumping into it. And I realized, oh, you know, I could, you can learn about this stuff. There's yeah. got, books, there's people that know it, you're hanging around just learning. And I, that's really when I, I sort of started uh, uh, diving into it. This wine just struck me. It was the first time I really tasted something that I felt was so different and so special mm -hmm. beyond anything I'd ever tried. And it was it that that was the real turning point. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole of uh, wine passion, and uh, it became it just became such a it consumed me. I was mm. then I then I discovered you know who this guy Robert Parker was and he had these he was the most powerful critic of any kind in the world for any sort of subject matter you know and he was the wine critic and everybody follows what he says so I would go out and get his books reading you know his Bordeaux book from cover to cover I read, you know uh, get subscription to the wine advocate wine spectator all this stuff I just I was just dove in and and, and uh, it was a lot of fun and also uh, fortunately you know what New York City offers is there's an amazing culture, amazing kinds of people you can meet. And uh, I was lucky to hook up with people that were, really became kind of wine mentors yeah. uh, that I learned a lot from that would open nice wines. They wanted a good excuse to open and share things, you know. And uh, I, I just, that's that's really, that was, that's how, that was my wine education. It was only, it was two years later, roughly two years later after that night, John's apartment with Ben Nelson and the 96 La Pavillon. I'm still working at Deloitte and um, I'm much more wine savvy and knowledgeable, but it's still, I'm still what you'd call an amateur uh, with a lot of passion. Yeah. Uh, and I, Ben ended up shortly, I guess this would have been he got he he ended up coming to new york he got a job with zaki's wine auctions mm -hmm. and zaki's at the time uh was just really getting off the ground with their own standalone auction house zaki's had been partnered with christie's since uh, new york auctions were legalized and allowed in uh, the mid 90s mm -hmm. but zaki's was really like the retail license partner because mm -hmm. the way that's how the, the laws in New York work. Mm -hmm. The auction houses have to have um, be partnered 
or have a wine a retail license in order to conduct auctions. So, but Zaki's and the you know the the really you know brilliance of Don Zachariah at the time is like you know watching what they're doing like we can do this we can do this better we don't need them blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Zaki's and two it was late two thousand two had their first standalone auction no Christie's but it was this idea of go to restaurant Danielle one you know three star Michelin restaurant have conduct the auction in a restaurant where it's fun where there can be food and people can bring wine and give reason to you know embrace the the culture of wine and the yeah, kind absolutely. of clientele and so it was that was really Don Zachariah's vision and it changed everything you know yeah. and I was lucky enough uh, again it was two years after the Le Pevillon 96 with Ben, mid, later 2003, August 2003, I guess, or early September. I, I was sitting at my desk. Um, I'd never gone to wine auction. I liked markets, liked auctions, like things like this. You know, Ben had made the step. He'd been with Zachy's just a few months. And um, I emailed him. I said, are you guys hiring? And it was kind of a lark. I, I actually wasn't even feeling that serious about making yeah. a jump. But it was just one of those things where... Yeah. You know, you you get frustrated with your job, or you're bang, banging your head against the desk for something. You're like, uh, you know, blowing off some steam. I emailed him, and that immediately got a email back. He's like, yeah, actually, you know, I think you'd probably be, be pretty well suited for this. You know, if you can, uh, you know, it might be a step down, you know, for salary and all of this. But I'll tell you what, if you're serious, uh, yeah. And then like a few days later, I'm interviewing with Jeff Zachariah with the team, and. A few days after that, literally, probably within a week of sending that email, I was working for Zachy's Wine Auctions with Ben and with another guy that's now in his own way prominent in the uh, wine business, a guy named, a, friend, a great friend of mine, David Beckwith. And uh, David runs more, he has like a private consulting business, works with like guys like Robert Bohr, uh, uh, or they used to be partners. And, uh, and, uh, it was at that time, it was just like the three of us as kind of little kids in the candy store, just starting off, but, you know, kind of running Zachy's wine auctions in a way. And it was amazing. And we were all learning together. It was a lot of work, long hours. I mean, we were working literally like seven days a week and often way late into the night. It's a, it, it, the, the auction business is extremely, extremely work intensive for so many reasons, but we loved it. I mean, being around the greatest wines all day was a dream come true you know once you understand uh, have just enough knowledge to be dangerous about these wines suddenly you're actually holding a bottle of latash you know it's not just something you read about or you know somebody mentioned once in a while you're there's magnums of lafitte there's 61 latour and it's everything it was so cool you know it was all of a sudden the whole amazing wine world was just at at my fingertips so i got again a very very fortuitous series of events if you will i got i landed in i landed what in retrospect was truly the most dream and plum kind of position i could have ever asked for Mm -hmm. you know uh i don't think i doubt i would have really considered just you know working floor of retail or going to a distributor just wasn't just wasn't really even my kind of temperament or my Mm -hmm. kind of interest at all but the auction business i for sure and i i uh, only grew to appreciate even more how much I really loved being in it uh, once I, once I really got the job because I realized how much it was it's such a personal business you really the client service aspect of it mm-hmm. the idea that it's it more than even being very wine knowledgeable you have to be 
professionally capable. You okay. have to be dependable. You have to come up, come to work on time. Uh, you got to put the hours in. You got to and do do a great job. But more than that, I also quickly learned it's it's a people business, and the uh, the client side of it is what I end up really excelling with. Mm-hmm. Not just being able to do the job, um, work well with the group, etc. But I I I, I love the client side of it because you were sharing this passion with people that you're doing business with every single day, just about everybody you're working with, even if you're doing some business with, let's say, the trade, if retailers buying wines for their, mm-hmm. or if it's a, a wine broker or something, these are still people that, like you, have wine passion, wine knowledge, insider stories, all kinds of stuff. You know, it was a just a cool, it was an amazing thing to be a part of, especially at that age. I guess at that time I would have been mid-20s or something. Um, and Sarah and I weren't even married at that time. She had, she was in New York uh, by then, of course. She she came out to New York shortly after I I landed here. Um, but it was just amazing. I mean, looking back on it, it's just it was such a uh, it's such an incredible time that I don't think like myself, Ben, Dave, those of us that were sweating it all the time, and it was hard work. But I'm sure, like I do, they look back and say, "Wow, that was really." fucking cool sorry for my (laughs) sorry for my language but but uh but uh but but it's it was something special was really happening and also what the timing of what was going on in in the auction industry what we also became uh so lucky with was the wine auction business was really just starting to explode in america right it was it, it had uh by when I was, so this would have been, yeah, September 2003, August or September 2003, that's when I started with Zaki's. Um, it was still a relatively newish thing in New York City. Uh, the first new auctions in New York City for wine weren't until about 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was still sort of a new thing that people are still embracing, you know, getting to know. And at that time, it was really Morel, Acker, Zaki's doing auctions. And then, of course, Christie's and Sotheby's. But volumes were low. It wasn't. It wasn't this big blown out business it is today. Where I, I think now, I, I forgive. I have to look at the statistics. I think for the for 2019, I think there were at least three auction houses, maybe four, that had more than a hundred million dollars global revenue. Which that may not sound like a lot, but for the wine auction world, it was only a few years ago that the the total worldly, worldwide volume for all auction houses across the globe was under 400 million. You know, so it's Absolutely. it's it's become this it it's just become this truly huge business, mm-hmm. uh, and so we were there when, you know, if you had, I think Don and Jeff's when they were, I remember talking to them about some of their you know the early business planning they did. So you know, for the sake of I don't know, you know, going to the bankers or whatever, just planning mm-hmm. out this idea of doing auctions by themselves. I think they're, you know, they're you know, the five-year plan had like, by year five, we'll do $12 million yeah. revenue or something. And by year five of Zaki's auctions, which that would have been 2007, I was there, we, we, we had like 80 or 90 million. I mean, it was just this explosion happened. And it was right around the time that I, I, I was lucky enough to get in the business. So um, it's cool. Looking back, you know, it really grew up in a, such an amazing era of the industry, wine auction industry. Uh, and 
Um, I ended up with auctions until leaving Wally's in summer of 2015. Yeah, so. You know, as I listen to your story, a few things um, really stand out. First of all, your sense of adventure and openness. Um, you know, being in the environment you describe Midwest, very secure, and that first epiphany that happened in Europe, which clearly was a momentous occasion because it showed you this very vibrant food and wine culture and what it's like. And then having job security with a company that clearly valued you and you could have just taken that trajectory, a corporate ladder, so to speak, and there you were, you know, willing to move to New York and leave the comfort of what's familiar. And New York, as you very accurately pointed out, it can be brutal, it can kind of break you a bit. And the fact that you had a stamina to say, hey, I'm going to take a chance and see what I find out about myself. I thought that comment that you made was so special and worth kind of pausing on and just really absorbing it. When we're in our formative years, in young adults, we really learn about ourselves. And to give yourself an opportunity in a pretty trying environment, there's a sensory overload. Yeah. Um, and to be able to absorb it and make sense of it, I think it says a lot about who you are. And you've pointed out several times that it was the right place, right time. Yeah. And there's absolutely value there and truth. But it's also being ready, having that mindset of saying, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to go this direction. I'm not just going to be tethered to the familiar. And that those are kind of hallmarks yeah. of what you were describing. Um, and it's it was such a heady time for the wine auctions. I mean, it started with renowned Bordeaux houses and Burgundy houses, and then the New World stepped up yeah. so powerfully with Parker reviews. Oh, yeah. That had to have been just absolutely fascinating. And watch it live. It's like a theater yeah. opened of all this exciting wines and that all of a sudden we're gaining value and gaining momentum exponentially as the reviews started coming out. And the collectors kind of got excited about it and the world expanded and exploded right in front of you. Oh, yeah. And, and it, again, kind of, that's why uh, looking back, you know, it's only with hindsight you can realize what was happening, you know, because, mm -hmm. again, nobody predicted or thought wines would be at the prices they are now. They yes. were seemed expensive then, you know, but all of a sudden, I mean, Rumi Amarus was like $250 and that seemed like an expensive wine. You know, Lafitte, uh, I mean, I think the future futures prices, uh, this was, I was, yeah, I was getting into wine when there was still like the, the 2000 vintage futures were still available. And I, I mean, the first growths, seemed expensive at I think $200 a bottle or something on Premier, you know, or whatever, 250, something yeah. like this. I wasn't buying it. I didn't have that kind of money. Uh but I mean, it's crazy what happened. You know, the pri the prices, the global interest, mm -hmm. how Asia is now such a huge factor. Uh and and again, you know, beyond just the mainstays like you say of Bordeaux and Burgundy, uh how how many different kinds of wine have such a global reach, global interest, mm -hmm. and and there's I, there's still a lot of opportunities. There's still regions of the world that <clears throat> are 
at some point likely to hit those highs. I, I think, you know, South, South America, mm -hmm. Oregon and Washington, mm -hmm. you know, uh, where, where these are still sort of in the, in the world of wine, these are still kind of nascent up and coming regions, even Absolutely. though they've been making wine for decades, of course, but it's only a matter of time, you know, like there's going to be Oregon Pinot Noirs that rival the best of Burgundy because they finally found those great plots, just of like the, like Burgundy a thousand years ago, where they found the, you know, the perfect terroir, you know, they found Romani Conti, Latash, this, these little patches where it was the only place in the world you could get wine like this. And so uh, uh, we're going to see that. I think that's exciting. And, and that, that's what keeps me so excited about wine, even outside of now not being in the auction biz. Uh, this It's actually been very refreshing that what I've done after auctions, it's, it kind of helped me get back to the roots of wine love, mm -hmm. where when you're in the auction world, you're surrounded by the best of the best all the time. Mm -hmm. You're you have opportunities to try these wines frequently, whether it's just by virtue of the day-to-day -day work you're doing, going to sellers, sampling wines, uh, doing tastings with clients, whatever. Uh, so many fancy pants dinners with clients where literally there could be three magnums of Latash on the table, and it's just a Tuesday night or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is it was very regular and. Uh, the conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.